0: Hello and welcome to this recording of the message from the 6 p.m. service on August the 13th, 2023 at South City C3 Church. I'm Josh Taylor, and I am one of the pastors at South City C3. Now, unfortunately, we have been having some tech problems with our recording equipment, and so this is not a live recording from Sunday night, but a re-recording of the content so that you can still join in and not miss out just in case you couldn't make it on Sunday. But that said, I'm very much looking forward to jumping in to a brand new sermon series with you. And I just so happen to be in my third year of leading this service now. And one of the things that I've loved doing is all the different sermon series that we've gotten to do together. We've done some real practical ones, uh, some awesome books of the Bible that we've gotten to look at. But in each year so far, it's felt like there's been almost like a a flagship sermon series that just feels like it has some extra weight on it from the Spirit, where it feels like God is especially highlighting a certain book of the Bible for us. And so in my first year, that, to me, just felt like the Book of Esther series that we did, where we explored the God who is both seen and unseen. And last year's flagship series felt like the Book of Job series that we did, where we looked at what it meant to find God in the dark of our suffering. And at the start of this year, I had a real sense about yet another Old Testament book. And so we're gonna begin exploring this book tonight at our service. And I believe that this is an important theme for us for the year, and that there are some truths here that God really wants to take us deeper into as a community. And so this book that we're studying, it's actually considered one of the most unusual books in the canon of scripture. It is completely unlike all of the other 65 books. It's a book that's rich in symbolism, deep in passion, and profound in its depiction of the journey that we go on with God across the seasons of our life with him. And so for that reason, beginning tonight and for the next four weeks, I could not be more excited to begin a new series called Come Away. And in this series, we are going to be exploring the dazzling and profound imagery found amidst the pages of the Old Testament book called the Song of Solomon, otherwise known as the Song of Songs. But before we jump in, as always, I love to start with some prayer. So, Jesus, I just thank you for those who are listening into this recording, and I pray that you would release the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would enlighten the eyes of our understanding, help us to understand and to comprehend uh, this most beautiful of books that you've given to us, the Song of Solomon. Lord, I pray that you would stir hearts even uh, wherever these people are listening from, whether it's in their car, whether it's in, uh, in the break room, at the workplace, uh, whether it's just at home. Lord, I pray that you would move powerfully during this time as they're listening. Touch their hearts. So we give you this time, we ask for your grace, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 10. Across the pages of our Bible and across the pages of history, there's this invitation that God has continually extended over and over and over again. And while the substance of this invitation has looked different for each person, it remains an invitation that can be summed up in two words. Come away. Come away with me. And this invitation, it's actually a real... Uh, personal part of Sarah and I's story this invitation to come away and some of you might have heard this story but I remember the first time God spoke to me about moving to New Zealand Uh, I was in Tauranga here in New Zealand at the time on a three-month internship and I assumed at the time that my three-month internship would likely be the only three months of my life that I would spend in the South Pacific And so because of that assumption, I would say that moving here was probably the biggest plot twist in my life since the time I found out that the Tooth Fairy was really just my mom the whole time. So there we are. We're in Tauranga. Sarah and I were happily making plans to move back to Michigan after I finished Bible school. And it's December of 2014, and I'm having Pronto Burger in Tauranga. And I'm just about to take a bite of my burger when all of a sudden the presence of God begins to rest on me really strongly and I hear a voice in my chest that says this, you will not be moving back to Michigan. I will speak very clearly to you about where I am sending you next. And then I heard this, I'm gonna send you very far away, but I will allow you to return as often as you like. Now, my first thought when I heard this was, man, what is in this burger? (laughs) This is crazy. But in the weeks that followed, I began to become more and more convinced that God didn't just want Sarah and I to do a three month internship in New Zealand. He was inviting us to actually move here. And I didn't fully realize this at the time, but this was the beginning of an invitation to come away. And so I shared this sense with Sarah, and, you know, full of faith, Sarah goes, Yeah, not a chance. <laughs> And so we returned to Kansas City to finish up my Bible school, and over the months that followed, we started having these just interesting run-ins with people who were from New Zealand. And what was particularly peculiar was that they all seemed to be from this city called Christchurch. Now, throw in a couple other hints along the way, and we started feeling really sure that God was calling us to move not back to Taonanga in New Zealand, but to Christchurch. And so we're feeling pretty sure about that, but we didn't really have any sort of connection to the city. We didn't really know anybody. And so I really wanted to be 100% certain that this was God. God was calling us to move to this particular city. And at the time I was real keen to become an airline pilot. And so I said, okay, God, if you are calling us to move to Christchurch and you're okay with me attending a flight school there, then as a confirmation, Will you send someone to me and have them tell me that they saw a vision of me flying? I said, you do that and I will pack my bags. I will go to Christchurch." Now I told nobody about this. I was like, God, it has to be 100% you. I'm asking you to convince me. And so next day I get a call from a friend in Florida and I pick up the phone. I said, hello, my friend goes, hey, he said, "Um," said, before we talk about anything else, he said, strangest thing, he said, I just felt really stirred to pray for you and Sarah, and I felt like God's given me this picture for you, but I don't know what it means. And I said, okay, what did you see? He said, well, I had this vision of you flying. I said, really? He said, yeah, he said, you were flying over this beautiful blue ocean to a land of mountains in the middle of the sea. Now, leading up to this time, Sarah had been starting to warm up to the idea of moving to New Zealand. And so she's praying one day about the decision, and she asked God to speak to her by giving her a scripture. And so she felt in her heart, like God said, Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 10. Now, this was interesting because Sarah didn't know what that verse was. And so she flips open her Bible, she goes looking for it, opens it up, and she reads it and sees that it says, My beloved speaks and says to me, arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Now fast forward, and here is where it gets very interesting. So the exact same day that I get that call from my friend in Florida, and I actually looked this up in my journal. It's the 14th of July, 2015, and at the time of that phone call, Sarah is in the prayer room in Kansas City. And someone in the prayer room whom Sarah does not know gives her a series of prophetic words and they say all sorts of nice things about her, which isn't you know, too impressive because Sarah is actually a pretty easy person to say nice things about. Uh, but what was impressive is he gets to the end and he says, oh, and one last thing. I believe the Lord is speaking this particular scripture to you. Song of Solomon, chapter two, verse 10. And he's saying, arise, my love, my beautiful one. It's time to come away. So I don't think we ever really doubted after that that God was inviting us to come away with him to New Zealand. And while that was an invitation that he extended to us, I actually believe that in one way or another, the invitation to come away is an invitation that God extends to every single person who encounters him. And what I mean by that is not so much that God invites everyone to come away to a a foreign land or a different place but rather that God invites everyone to leave behind life as they know it and to go on a journey of becoming someone new. When Abraham was living in the comforts of the city of Ur, God invited him to come away to a land he would show him. When Moses was 40 years deep into his exile, God spoke out of a burning bush and invited him to come away to Egypt to help him set his people free. When Mary, the mother of Jesus, was betrothed to Joseph, God invited her to come away into mothering a story so much bigger than herself. When Jesus saw Simon Peter and his brother Andrew fishing, he said, come away with me and I will make you fishers of men. And when Saul was pouring out wrath on the local Christians, Saul became Paul when God knocked him off his donkey with an invitation to come away into grace instead. So over and over and over again, God seems to delight in setting an invitation in front of people to leave behind something of their old life and to come away with him into something new. And not everyone says yes to that invitation. I mean, just look at the rich young ruler. But the point is, is that he puts the invitation in front of everyone. And you know, I think that's why we actually call becoming a Christian, being born again because there's this real sense that when we say yes to jesus we are leaving our old life behind and going away with him on a new journey where we will never be the same again and i believe this beautiful this weighty and this costly invitation to come away is what the song of solomon is all about So the Song of Solomon is essentially this book of love poems that is centered around an invitation to come away. But for some context for both tonight and for the series as a whole, I just wanna take some time to zoom out for a bit and let's answer the question of why should we study this book in the first place? And I have three reasons that I wanna give you, three reasons that we should study the Song of Solomon. Reason number one, it's in the Bible. So, we study the Song of Solomon for the same reason that we study Ephesians or the book of Proverbs. It's obviously so that we can impress our friends. No, I'm just messing with you. <laughs> the real reason that we study all of these books of the Bible is because it says all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Second Timothy chapter three, verses 16 through 17. So I believe God has something valuable for us in all of the scriptures, which includes the Song of Solomon. Reason number two that we should study the Song of Solomon. All scriptures ultimately testify of Jesus. In Luke 24, on the road to Emmaus, the resurrected Jesus appears to two of his disciples. And it says in verse 27 that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. All of the current writings at this time, that Jesus would have been saying this, of the Old Testament, and that included the Song of Solomon. So all of the Old Testament points forward to Christ, just as all of the New Testament points back towards him. Now Jesus also said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. Therefore, whatever is revealed about God through any book of the Old Testament is consequently a revelation of Jesus also. And this includes the Song of Solomon. So to study the Old Testament, is to study the Christ that it foreshadows. Last reason, reason number three that we should study the Song of Solomon is this, it can teach us a lot about our journey with God. And that is because I believe the primary interpretation of the Song of Solomon is that it is a poetic depiction of our journey from spiritual immaturity to spiritual maturity in Christ. And I will tell you why I believe that in just a moment. But I believe this book equips us to discern what God is doing in the different seasons of our lives. And that's because throughout our life, we ebb and we flow in and out of the testing and the blessing that is described throughout this song. So therefore, our understanding of this song can help us to make sense of what God is doing at different parts of our journey so that we can move towards him in love and trust rather than away from him in confusion disappointment or offense so those are three reasons to study the song of solomon it's in the bible it testifies ultimately of jesus and it can teach us a lot about our journey with god so now that the why is out of the way (laughs) What exactly is the Song of Solomon? So the Song of Solomon, which is also known as the Song of Songs or the Canticles of Canticles, if you're a fan of Latin and you want to sound really smart, you can call it that. But this is one of the books found in the Old Testament of the Bible, and it's traditionally attributed to King Solomon, though his authorship is debated by some scholars who argue the book is merely written in the tradition of Solomon. Uh, this is possibly due to the fact that the book uh, describes king solomon falling in love with sort of this singular focus on his bride something that perhaps seems a bit hard to take seriously when you remember that this guy had 300 concubines and 700 wives (laughs) but that said the book is a unique and poetic collection of love songs often characterized as a lyrical dialogue between a bride and her bridegroom The book is rich in metaphor, rich in symbolism and vivid imagery, and it explores themes of romantic love, desire, beauty, and the intimate relationship between lovers. It also happens to be a pretty short book made up of just eight chapters, and it's considered a part of the five ancient books of wisdom literature, along with Job, Psalms, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. Now let me tell you something about this book. The Song of Solomon is a book unlike any of the other books of the Bible. You know, some books of the Bible, they're like a sheet of glass. They're meant to be almost like a a window that we look through so that we can see something clearly about God or about his story. Other books of the Bible are more like a magnifying glass where they magnify something of the glory of god or they invite self-reflection on the thoughts or the motivations of our hearts the song of solomon is not like those things the song of solomon is not like a window it is not like a magnifying glass instead the song of solomon is like a diamond it's not meant to be looked through directly but merely held up to the light and turned this way and that, allowing it to reflect the beautiful colors that might otherwise go unseen. Here's something I want you to know going into this series. The Song of Solomon is not primarily a book for your head. It is a book for your heart. And if you try to approach this book with your head, then you might just trip over the language Because after all, it's got a lot of body parts described in this book. But if you approach it with your heart, then your soul might just get a taste of its sweetness. So that when the song says his love is better than wine, you might really begin to believe it. When it says God's appearance is radiant and dazzling, that he is chief among 10,000, you might really begin to see it. And when it invites you to come away on a beautiful journey where you will face everything you ever feared so that you can become everything you ever wanted you might really begin to do it here's the key thing the song of solomon is poetry and poetry is not written to make you know things poetry is written to make you feel things And so if other books of the Bible are like lamps that illuminate our path or uh, bread that sustains us, then the Song of Solomon is like wine that allows us to drink deeply of God's passion. It's a tremendous gift to us, and although we're just dipping our toe in for tonight's message, I can't wait to explore the rest of it together with you. So that said, let me tell you a little bit about our approach to interpreting this book over the five weeks that we're gonna be covering it. And I want to acknowledge that there are two common ways that the Song of Solomon is interpreted. They are the natural interpretation and the spiritual interpretation. So let's start with the natural interpretation. The natural interpretation views the Song of Solomon kind of at face value. It sees it as a natural love story between King Solomon and his bride, the Shulamite Maiden. It emphasizes biblical principles that honor the beauty of love within marriage, and this would suggest that certain parts of the song are romantic and perhaps even erotic. And I believe that this is a valid interpretation of the story, and it's one that has grown in popularity in recent years. And so I bless this way of looking at the poetry of the book, even if I don't believe that this is the primary purpose for the book. So that's the natural interpretation. Then there is the spiritual interpretation. So this views the song in a symbolic way to reveal spiritual truths in our relationship with Jesus behind the natural love story. And so, in this approach, we study the song to gain deeper understanding of our relationship with Jesus. Now, I believe this is the primary way this book is meant to be interpreted. And here are a few arguments why I think that. My first argument is that this is the historically most common approach over the 3,000 years that this book has been around. Ancient Jewish rabbis most commonly understood the Song of Solomon to be a depiction of the relationship between God and Israel. In fact, Rabbi Akiba, an early Jewish commentator on the Song of Solomon, he said this, "...the entire history of the world from its beginning to this very day does not outshine that day on which this book was given to Israel. All the scriptures indeed are holy, but the Song of Songs is the holy of holies." In fact, it was common for Jewish rabbis to describe the written works of Solomon as representative of the temple that he built with Proverbs representing the outer courts, Ecclesiastes representing the inner courts, and the Song of Solomon as the Holy of Holies. Now, post-resurrection, we would, of course, update this understanding of the Song of Solomon to see it through the lens of Christ and his church. And that's not as a replacement of Israel, but rather recognizing the fulfillment of the promise that Jesus will come back for one people made up of Jews and Gentiles alike. So that's my first argument. Argument number two is that God did not borrow marriage from us. God created marriage and the beauty of the intimacy between a man and a woman in marriage as a reflection of Of who he is and what his love is like. And so God didn't go, hey, you know that thing that you guys do, the marriage thing? Yeah, that's, I guess, kind of what I'm like. No, marriage is an expression of something that is in the fabric of who God is. He has always existed in covenantal relationship with himself as the Trinity. And so we reflect him because we are made in his image, not the other way around. And then my last argument, argument number three, the Bible uses marital language in other places to describe God's relationship with his people. You know, when Israel wasn't faithful to him, God described it as almost a spiritual adultery across the pages of the prophets. In Isaiah 62, God refers to himself rejoicing over Israel as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride jesus referred to himself in matthew chapters 9 22 and 25 as a bridegroom the end of revelation tells us that the spirit and the bride will say come and so the reason i tell you this is the idea of god using a love story between a husband and a wife as a picture of his relationship with his people that's not something that's out there or weird it's actually pretty consistent with some of the language he uses to describe himself in other parts of the Bible. So those are my three arguments for the spiritual interpretation of the Song of Solomon being the primary way to understand the book. It's the most historically common, God didn't borrow marriage from us, and the Bible uses marital language in other places to describe himself. And so this is the approach, the spiritual interpretation that we will be making Uh, that we will be taking as we go through the Song of Solomon over the course of this series. And so we're going to be looking at the Bridegroom Solomon as representative of Jesus and the Shulamite Bride as representative of ourselves. So that said, let's finish out tonight by looking at the central invitation of the book, which is an invitation to come away. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Song of Solomon, chapter two, verse 10. Now, the way that I see it, there are three parts to this invitation. Part number one is an invitation to arise with courage. Now, all invitations in life are risky. (laughs) I mean, it's risky to accept an invitation to a new job. It's risky to accept an invitation to go on a date. And it is risky as to accept an invitation to follow Jesus because you never know where he's going to take you. Invitations are risky because they require us to leave behind the comfort and the safety of life as we know it and take a step towards life as it could be. This is a scary but also a very brave and very beautiful thing to do. Therefore, I believe the first part of any invitation to come away is an invitation to arise with courage. The next part of that invitation is an invitation to leave something behind. After all, you can't go away without leaving behind where you are right now. Jesus didn't invite Simon, Peter, and Andrew to just come to his Tuesday night Bible study after they finished fishing. No, he told them to leave behind their fishing nets and to follow after him. If you get a new job, it means you have to leave your current one behind. If you move to a new city, it means you have to leave your current friends and family behind. If you say yes to a life of following Jesus, it means you will have to leave your old way of doing things behind. Therefore, to say yes to an invitation to come away is a decision that is costly because it means that you will have to leave something behind. So that's the second part of the invitation. The third part of the invitation is an invitation to go in faith. It's not enough to have courage or to just be willing. In order to truly say yes to an invitation to come away, you must actually go somewhere. (laughs) And When it's God inviting you to come away, most likely he isn't going to tell you all the steps ahead of time. You might even have some parts of the journey where it feels like you're walking in the dark. And in those times, it's critical that you go in faith, trusting him to walk by you each step of the way. You know, I remember the Lord reassuring me like a a week before we moved to Christchurch that going to Christchurch was gonna feel like jumping into thin air. But he said this, I promise you, Josh, that you can count on me to catch you. And so when we took a taxi and we rocked up at 2 a.m. to the address that we were staying at that was owned by people that we did not know, that definitely felt like jumping into thin air. When we were trying to find a house for the first time, that felt like jumping into thin air. When we had no idea what we were supposed to be doing over here, it felt like jumping into thin air. But over and over and over again, from those early days right up until now, in big ways and in small ways, he has caught us every single time. But an invitation to come away can only be fully realized when we actually go in faith. So those are the three parts of saying yes to an invitation to come away. We must arise with courage, we must leave something behind, and we must go in faith. Do those three things and you will say yes to the beauty and the radiance of a life that is found in going away with Jesus. And as we explore the Song of Solomon over the coming weeks, it is my prayer and my hope that you will catch a glimpse of that beauty and that radiance and that you will discover the treasures in God that can only be found when you say yes to his invitation to come away. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I just thank you for the person who is listening to this message right now and hearing this introduction to the series on the Song of Solomon. Lord, I pray that you would release wisdom and grace for them to comprehend what is in this book. And Lord, I pray that as they explore it together with everyone else and myself, Lord, I pray that there would be something of the fragrance of this book that would touch their heart in a new way. God, that they would begin to comprehend their walk with you in a way that they've never comprehended it before. And Lord, I pray that the words of this book would just soak into their soul and that they begin to experience you through this amazing book. Lord, I thank you for each one of them and I bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us and listening in on this recording or re-recording rather of the message from Sunday night. We hope to resolve our tech problem soon. uh, But until then, God bless you. And we look forward to seeing you again sometime very soon.